So we're looking into God's word, and, and I don't know about you, but I've been watching a little bit of Olympics lately. Do any of you watching the Olympics? A few of you? All right. Um, you know, there's always a story behind the athletes that are going after this, this prize, the gold medal. It's never good to get a silver or a bronze. They want the gold, right? They're going for the gold. And we have these terms that we use. And, and these athletes are incredible, incredible people um, who take all of their lives and dedicate their life, morning, noon, and night, their diet, their, their exercise, the time that they spend sleeping, and everything. they dedicate it all to trying to get the gold, right? trying to, to reach for that highest of all so that you can be known as the world's greatest swimmer or biker or wrestler or whatever it is. If you get that gold, you're known as the greatest, right? So they put in all this effort to move their lives in a specific direction. They don't have any guarantees of winning. Sometimes, you know, if you're a hurdler and you hit one of those hurdles in your final race, that's it. You're not going to get the gold. It's over. You have to go home as a loser, you know? And it's very hard to, 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 to process through all of that if you've dedicated your whole life, all of your energy, all of your effort, and then you trip or you fall or your bike goes off, uh, off balance or something happens, you know? And we aren't like them. We can put our effort and our energy into following after Jesus, and we are guaranteed the gold. We're guaranteed that the end will be a finish line. This, this chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, yes, it's known as the, 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 the hall of faith, the hall of fame for, for, for believers throughout, throughout the Old Testament and now into the New. It's known for that, but, but Hebrews is not actually... This chapter specifically, but this whole book as a message is not just about faith. It's about how your faith helps you to keep moving forward and not going backwards. Remember, these were Jewish Christians who came out of the Old Testament faith of Judaism and had stepped into this whole new arena of life in God, life in, in God through Christ and through what Christ had done. And so they started this new way of life and they were being tempted, as we've heard a few times now, don't drift back, don't go back. They were being tempted to go back, back to the old system. It was more comfortable for them. I don't know if you remember Pastor Will's sermon last week. He used an illustration of his daughter, his youngest daughter, in the swimming pool. And how she, she was clutching to the side and he would try to encourage her to let go. They got floaties on her and to let go and to come out into the deep end with him. And she'd come out a little ways and then she'd get a little scared and she'd go back again. And then she'd come out a little more and she'd, she'd go back again. And he was frustrated because she, she had the floaties on. She's learning how to float. He's out there waiting for her. He's going to keep her safe. And yet she didn't quite have the faith or the trust that she needed to just go for it. To just just paddle out there to be with her daddy. This is what we're being encouraged to do as well in our faith. Go for it with your faith. Put all of your trust in Jesus. Don't hold on to the things of this world and try to reach out to him because you can't. You can't keep clutching to the side of the pool and swim out to daddy. It doesn't work. You got to let go. You got to step out like Peter had to in his boat. You got to step out in faith and follow after Jesus. And it's not easy. 
In fact, in chapter 10, it talked about the, the difficulty and the persecution that they were under, that they were feeling, this, this struggle for faith. It's not an easy street. It's difficult. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we actually have this powerful call and the incentive to persevere in our faith. We need to persevere together. We need to be encouraging one another, as, as Hebrews 10 said, in our faith. So as we allow the Spirit of God to continue to teach us through his word, I believe that he's calling me and I believe he's calling you into a deeper walk of faith. Maybe we've been holding on to the side a little bit too much. Maybe we've come out a little bit into the shallow water, but God is calling us into the deeper water of more faith, of increased faith, so that we are more dependent on God and less dependent on other things. Maybe those other things are self. We can try to depend on ourselves, others. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's our bank account. Maybe it's the economy. We're putting our faith and our trust in other things as well as in God. And he's saying, let go of the side. Swim to me. I'm the only one who can do this for you. All these other things are going to fail you. So Hebrews 6, 6, 6 12, if you, if you remember back in that chapter when we talked about it, it says that the preacher of Hebrews is saying to his people, I don't want you to become lazy, but I want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Imitate them. Imitate someone is to do what they do, to follow in their footsteps. And we're not to become lazy in our faith. It happens. I get it. I get lazy sometimes too. And I need to be encouraged and, 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 and given the incentive. And so hopefully as we look at this chapter together this month and into next month, because we're going to slowly go through this chapter because it's covering the history of faith in the Old Testament, which is the foundation for us now as New Testament believers. As we begin chapter 11, we finally begin to see some of the people who we're supposed to be imitating, the faithful witnesses, or as chapter 12, verse 1 says, skipping ahead a little bit, those great cloud of witnesses. And the example of the chapter 11 saints, the example of their faith, points us beyond the saints. We're not worshiping them or their stories or who they are as a people. We're not even trying to imitate them in the sense of be like you know, David, or be like Solomon, or be, you know, we're, we're trying to see through their lives into Jesus. We're trying to reach him through their examples, understand how we can depend on Christ more deeply than we are at this moment. After all, this series is called Jesus is Better. So he's even better than all these Bible heroes that we're going to be studying, all these stories of, of, of great faith. He's better than that. Hebrews 12, 2 says, fix your eyes on Jesus. So as we look at the saints, as we look at the Old Testament stories, we're going to look at them, but I want you to see yourself looking through them and seeing Jesus. Because we don't want to worship the saints. We want to worship Christ. He is the author and perfecter of faith, of our faith. 
So our faith is based upon the perfect and sufficient sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we've learned anything in these first 10 chapters, we've learned that his sacrifice was perfect and sufficient. There's no need for any more. No more bloodshed is needed, no more sacrifice, no more crosses. It's been done once and for all through Jesus Christ. And so we've learned that concept. But there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstanding in the world about faith what faith is and what it isn't. And I hope that this study of this chapter will help all of us to clear that up somewhat. The preacher describes it in verse one. He's describing faith. He's not defining it so much. It's not a dictionary definition. It's a description of faith. So we look at verse one this morning and then he gives us examples of people who demonstrated that type of faith. This is how we learn. We, 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 we describe something and then we see it demonstrated. So the question that we enter this chapter is, is what is faith? Well, first of all, let's, ta- let's say what it is not. Here's where some of the misunderstandings come in. We have to say what it is, but also what it isn't. Faith is not a feeling. It's not a feeling that you have to conjure up. And keep feeling all the time. It's not blind optimism. Just that happy-go-lucky, everything's going to be okay. You know? That's not faith. It's not some manufactured kind of hope-so, oh, I hope-so attitude, where everything ends with the, well, I hope-so. You know? It's not just an intellectual nod to the agreement of the belief in God. In fact, we're told in scripture, even Satan and demons believe in God. That doesn't mean they have faith in him. So it can't be just belief as we use that word. And it's not believing in spite of evidence to the contrary. It's not, you know, ignoring the facts that are in front of you, which are evidence of something. So that's not what faith is. Faith is hard to define because it's kind of like one of those words like love. How do you define love? You see it demonstrated, right? Or you, you watch it between two people. You watch it in a family unit or you watch it in a church. I got to tell you, pastors tell stories on, to each other. My friends who preached here last month, they always say to me, Your people, they love so well. They love us, even though they don't really know us. They just show love to us. And that makes me feel proud of you in a good way, a good kind of pride. But love is something like faith because it's hard to define a dictionary definition of it, but you can easily demonstrate it. So faith is like that as well. We can't quite define it. But there's a demonstration of it that goes on. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And it's the evidence of things not seen. And then verse 2 is one sentence. This is what the ancients, who we're going to hear about in this chapter, this is what they were commended for. They had this type of faith. So faith is a, is a substance. 
That's the first word there. This is, faith is a substance. As we look at that Greek word, it gives the sense of something that's foundational, something that's basic, a concrete reality upon which other things can be built. That's what faith is. Stasis is, is part of the root word there, which actually means a place, a setting, a standing pillar upon which other stones can be piled upon and placed upon. That's what faith is. There's a prefix, hupo, which is on the front of that word, which means underneath. So this is something underneath, foundational, concrete, that other things can be built on and depend upon. That's what faith is. It's not something ethereal, something you feel, something that's just coming and going. It's a solid concrete reality. That's what Christian faith is. Together, this word signifies something solidly foundational, concrete in reality, not imagined, something that's assured. It's not an imaginary product of our minds, fabricated by our own positive feelings or our energies or our dreams. You hear that when others try to describe it, maybe others who don't know Christ, they describe it in such a strange way. Just believe. Have faith. But what does it mean? It's, it's got to be real. It's got to be solid. So faith is something solid and firm. It's a substance. It's not an imaginary thing. It's not a mist. It's a real thing. It's something that can be depended on, trusted. You can place your life on it. And it won't fail you when you put your faith in the right thing, which we'll talk about in a moment. I love Tanya's illustrations. I I offered this one to her, but she, she left it for me this morning. If we think about faith needing to be a substance and something dependable... It's not like this ball. It's more like this stool. For instance, if there is something on a top shelf and I can't reach it, and I look for something that's going to give me a few more inches, which uh, Mr. T and Hera never needs, but I need often, right? I would not choose the ball because why? Because it's, it's not stable. It's not substance enough. It's not balanced. It doesn't hold me. I'm going to fall and break my ankle or something like that. But I could use this and have no problem, right? I got no problem. It's solid. That's what faith is. It is something solid. Even though it's difficult to define, the substance of it, it's solid. We need to understand that as we move further into this verse. Because it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, which we'll talk about in a moment. It's the evidence of things not seen. And that's, I think, where we start to say, like, well, it's not in reality because I can't see it. Maybe it exists, but maybe it doesn't exist. So we kind of we struggle with that understanding. But the word is defined as evidence. The Greek word for evidence is really two words which carry force and strength to the word faith. So it's not a mystery. They lay out an understanding of this concrete reality and they lay it out in such a way that it's 
essential, of great importance. You must have it. It's critical that you have faith if you follow Jesus. You have to have faith. What crucial means is that you can't do without it. For instance, oxygen. As human beings, as mammals, or whatever we, you know, whatever you want to define yourself as, you need oxygen. If I put you under the water, you only last so long. When your oxygen runs out, you run out, right? That's what faith is for believers. You got to have faith. There used to be a George Michael song called Gotta Have Faith. It's not a good song. But anyway, <laughs> but it came to my mind. I was like, gotta have faith. Uh, sorry. I'm a child of the 80s, you know. Um, anyway, it, it, it's so important. It's like oxygen to us as living beings. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 will tell us that without faith, it is impossible to please God, to be acceptable to God, to be welcome to his presence, which we've been guaranteed in Christ, that we can come boldly into the throne room of God. So, so without faith, we can't do that. It's essential, like oxygen. The word evidence also reminds me of the court, courtroom, right? When you go into a courtroom... And there's a, there's a debate going on. There's a trial going on. People present evidence. And some evidence is, is not so good. Once they start questioning it, it kind of falls apart. And other evidence is solid. Nobody can deny it. This is the kind of faith that God wants us to place in Christ. For something to be used as evidence, it has to be tested. It has to be, you know... Cross-examine, they call it. When you cross-examine something, this side gets to ask questions, then this side gets to ask questions, right? And they're all asking questions, and everybody's listening to the answer. And then the jury or the judge has to decide, yeah, that's, that's for real. That really did happen. That's something solid. Or, nope, that's not so, that's kind of flimsy evidence. It doesn't really work here. So when, when we think about faith, we have to think about that, that we're going to put our faith into something or someone, we'll hear in a moment, into someone who has been tested, who has been proven, and has been accepted as a substance, an evidence of what we need. So another illustration here this morning What's this? That's the color. What is it? It's a fruit, right. It's, it's a fruit we call orange by its color, right? But this one's actually plastic. I'm doing this on purpose because it's not really real. We could test it if we thought it was real. I could take a knife or I could, I could try with my fingernail to rip off the skin if the skin came off and there was lovely juice inside, it would be real. I had tested it. The evidence, I could smell it. You know, I could even, you know, without opening it, I could probably smell it. If I rubbed it a little bit, I would smell orange or the smell that's familiar with that fruit. So we do test things on a regular basis to see if they're reliable, to see if they're real, to see if they have the substance that we want. 
The other thing that this proves, and this is the part of this verse that, that sometimes we get confused about, this is evidence, if this were a real orange, this would be evidence of something we do not see. What would that something be? The orange tree, yes. Somebody's awake out there. The orange tree, because it's a fruit from a tree, but if I go outside and I look for the tree, Arlen, I'm going to find a tree out there in the woods with oranges hanging from it. Unlikely in New England. Right, unlikely in New England. Maybe Tower Hill has one of those, you know, I don't even know what they're called, greenhouse things that, that has, a, but no, these don't grow around here. So you could live in New England your whole life and go to the grocery store and buy oranges and eat them and love them, never having seen a real orange tree, but you are eating the evidence that trees that grow oranges exist. This is what faith is like. We don't have the tree yet. We're not in heaven with God yet, but we have some fruit here on earth that proves that that exists, that that is real, that that is not some fairy tale, right? So this is, this is what faith is for us. And when we look at the different stories throughout this chapter, we're going to see that those people had faith in God in such a way that they were pleasing to God, that God looked at them and, and, and he saw that they, they knew that they knew that he was for them, that he was trustworthy, that he was a God of miracles, that he could do anything. They put their trust in him, their faith in him. So this verse could literally be translated this way. Faith is the reality substance of things that are hoped for and the evidence that proves things unseen. Want to read that with me? I'm going to have to turn because my screen up here is not on. Let's read it together. Now faith is the reality substance of things hoped for, the evidence that proves things unseen. So faith is based upon that which has been tested and found to be crucial, all important, and that is Christ himself. In fact, we already heard here in, in, in Hebrews that he has already been tested in every way that we are tested, but he emerged victorious from that test without failing God, for we don't have a high priest who can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But we have a high priest who has been at all points tested like we are, and yet he did not sin. He's our victor. Hebrews 4.15. And this chapter, these great cloud of witnesses in this chapter, bring evidence to us of God's faithfulness from the pages of scripture, from the stories that we know, from, from the, 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 the testimony that we have of scripture. And all of them should draw our attention to Christ. See, believers with this type of faith in Jesus Christ are actually commended by God. What that means is all of these Old Testament individuals and these events illustrate the faith that God commends or approves. In other words, it makes God happy. When we show that kind of faith. He loves it. 
The power of this verse is this. It's as if God himself takes the witness stand on behalf of these Old Testament believers and he says, yep, they're pleasing to me. They're righteous in every way. Now we know the story behind the story in many of these people's lives. They weren't perfect people. They're like you and me. They made some big mistakes in life, but they had faith in God. They didn't let their life drive them in a direction that took them away from the God who saves, the God who is their savior. Our faith, let's remember, it doesn't create our reality. That's a modern concept. I don't know if Oprah came up with it or Oprah's little friends or whatever, but, but you know, you can create your own reality if you have enough of this thing, you know, I don't even know what they define it as. Maybe they call it faith. That's not biblical faith. That's another thing that's out there, a philosophy right now. Biblical faith is based on the reality of Jesus Christ, the reality of God's promises, as Tanya said, in God's word. Those things are real. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And because your faith as a believer is placed on that, God opens up his will to you. He opens up his plans for you. He opens up his power to you so that you can carry on a life that's pleasing to him. It's possible. And these people prove it. These Old Testament saints, these, these cloud of witnesses. So let's talk about the word hope. It's the only key word that we haven't touched yet in this verse. The word hope in verse one, it does need to be addressed. Again, because of the way we use that word on a regular daily basis, the way our culture uses that word. In scripture, faith is a hope that is absolutely certain that what it believes is true and what it expects will come. That's it. That's a scriptural definition of hope. Now, that's not the kind of hope you hear about a lot. A lot of hope, again, that word hope is used in a wishful way. Oh, I hope so. I don't know, but maybe. It feels like a maybe word, right? I hope things go well for you in your surgery. You know, if we're using it in a biblical way, then that's great. I know things will go well for you because God will watch over you and he loves you and he's watching the surgeon's hands. He's doing his work even in the midst of this difficulty, right? That's biblical hope. But this like, oh, I, I wish, I hope type of thing is not the biblical concept. The Christian biblical concept of hope is belief in a future against the present and the past. The thing that makes our hope different is God and God's word and God's promises because our hope is based on a person, not a wish. It's based on a promise from a faithful person, not a hope so, maybe, no. And these people are commended and you too can be commended as a believer when you put your faith in that person. And not just any person, on a faithful person. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. His word proves it. And we have to take the long view. The long view. Not this instant. I want this now. I have to have it now. Not that view. But the 
God is doing his work and God's timing is not my timing, but God will do it. It is guaranteed. You know, that's the, that's the long view, right? So let me explain that. So if we just look at Pilate, right? Remember in, in, in the, 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 the uh, arrest of Jesus and, and that Pontius Pilate was there. It looked like in the short view, in, in, in those days of the trial and then the crucifixion, it looked like Pilate was instrumental in crushing Christ. But the verdict in the long view actually reversed that, right? The future reversed the verdict in the moment. In fact, there's, there's one preacher that, that, that points out that the Roman emperor Nero, he was the one that condemned Paul to death, that Nero was looking in that period of time or in that moment of, of destroying Paul like he had won. But years have passed on, and we now live in a time when people name their sons Paul and their dogs Nero, right? Paul is a nice strong name for a, a son. Nero is a nice strong name for a dog, right? So the, the, the long view changes our view. This is what we'll see as we study Hebrews 11, in the short term, sometimes it's like, whoa, what is happening? You know, we, we're human. We, we get that sense. Where is my faith needs to be the next statement, the next thing that we do in response to like, yikes. Okay, wait. God's in control. God's got this. God's word says these things to me. And this instant doesn't erase that. In fact, God's words will reverse this curse will change this situation. Maybe now, for sure, in the future. That's just the way it is to be a believer. When you walk in faith, now is a walk of faith. It's a struggle. It's, a, it's, it's, it's back and forth. But the future is guaranteed. The gold is guaranteed. So, like those Olympic athletes, we have a guarantee of gold. But this verse, and this whole book actually, calls for what is necessary. The perseverance, the endurance, the continued journey in the same direction for a long time. Sometimes people ask, why should I refuse this temporary pleasure? This sinful delight? Why should I refuse that? Because the long view is what you should need to be looking towards. The long view is certain. A Christian's faith is certain. It's not uncertain. The Christian's faith belongs to God and is from God. Our faith is focused on eternity instead of on earth. The preacher of Hebrews, he goes on to say that it was precisely because the great heroes of faith staked their lives upon the principles, the truths, the things that they did know about God that God approved of them. They stake their lives on it. So, quick list. What do we hope for? What do we hope for? Here's, here's my list. It's behind you. We hope for forgiveness that is found only in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed, right? We know that. Those of you who studied scripture, have been a Christian for a while, you know that. That's how you became a Christian. You, someone convinced you that God would forgive your sins through Jesus Christ and what he did. 
We know that the Lord will never leave us or forsake us because he said that not only once but several times in scripture to his people. We know that God is sovereignly overseeing the affairs of mankind. Sometimes it doesn't look like it. Pilate, Nero, doesn't look like it. But God is watching over and directing mankind in history. God leads us according to the purposes of his will. This is what God wants from us as we walk in faith, that we would follow him according to his purposes. We know that Jesus will return for his church. It's a guarantee. It's a promise of scripture. We know that physical death actually ushers us into God's presence, into a whole new reality in heaven. We know that we will receive a new physical body there and that death will be vanquished. We can never die again. We know that we will be transformed into Christ's likeness. His character will finally be fully formed in us. Those things that dog you, those things that you wish you could do away with, that temper or that, 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 that darkness that sometimes comes after you, gone forever, hallelujah, when we are in God's presence. And we will be reunited with those who also have died in Christ. We don't mourn the way that others mourn because we know that there's a promise of a future with those people we love dearly. So we have to be careful to not put our hope in the things that God hasn't promised us. This is where the world gets confused. This is where some Christians get confused. It happens a lot. The prosperity doctrines out there are almost always, this is how you can test them, they're almost always exclusively focused on claiming promises for today, for now, things that are on this earth, health and wealth, things of this earth. My health is guaranteed. My perfect health is guaranteed in heaven. I know that. I will get a body that cannot have a disease or die, right? It's a guarantee. Right now, Will God bring me through a trial, bring you through a trial that involves some physical pain and some difficulties? I guess so. It looks as though that's true. Does he still heal now? Yes, he does. We're going to hear a testimony in just a moment. But does he always, because you claimed it, and because that's what your will is, does he always do that? No. He has a plan and a purpose, and he is sovereign, and so sometimes we have to trust him even in the pain and the difficulty that that causes we trust him because the future's guaranteed. So life in faith is something that we walk together in. And it's not easy. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.11, Peter said to his dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in this world, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. See, we're strangers here. We're aliens. If you're trying to make this your eternal home, you're going to be frustrated. It is not your eternal home. We're passing through here. Our emphasis in our faith is focused on eternity instead of everything now. God is here with us now. God is at work right now. But what he's doing is still being worked out. God wants our focus to be on Christ and on him and on his word because we were created for eternity. Let me say that again because we forget this. I forget this. You and I were created for eternity. 
You weren't created to just inhabit this earth for 50, 60, 80, 90 years and poof, disappear. Many people believe that. This is not the truth of God's word. You were created for eternity. So our focus is on eternity. In fact, we're we're spiritual beings. We have a physical body, but we're spiritual beings that can live forever in Christ. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above. Not on earthly things. That's hard, but people of faith do that. We're going to see that the people of faith in this chapter did that. They set their hearts on God. Now, we can set our hearts on God in Christ. They were pre-Christ. They were Old Testament, but they still did it. They still had a faith that they found to be solid, to be evidence of something that they couldn't see all the time. They couldn't make sense of it even all the time. But as they did that and they walked that out, miracles happened. We want that to happen in this place too, in our lives. So I'm wondering how many of you can be honest this morning before we end. How many of you, like me, have to admit that I get real focused on the here and now? I think it's because we have five senses. You know, we have these, these senses that, that draw us into that. You know, I can touch and feel and taste and see and hear the now, but I have to have faith about the next, right? And so, so I'm, I'm, I'm touchy-feely like you are. I'm touchy-feely. So we're touchy-feely and we, we end up in the now, but God is calling us to higher things, to greater things, to set our minds and our hearts on those things. So how many of you will admit that you're more now-centered than future-centered. Raise your hands. Be honest. We don't have to close our eyes like Pastor Will does. <laughs> We're safe here. Yeah, I get real focused on the now. And so my prayer in, in, in this, in the study of Hebrews, is that God would help me, strengthen me in my faith in such a way that my focus begins to shift more and more to the future, to the eternal, to Christ himself. And that's my prayer for us, is that we won't be gripping the side of the pool so tightly that we never learn to swim. We get wet, but we never let go and actually feel the joy of swimming. That our faith would grow in such a way that we walk and talk and live in that kind of relationship with God that he receives from us the faith and the the life of faith that he created us for. God, may you deepen our faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we need you to do that work. So by your spirit, go with us from this place. Help us to trust you more and more each day so that we grow to become your people who please you deeply in every way. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.